0: The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network.
1: Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Hey, it is that special time of the month once again. It's bonus episode time. This is episode 134 of the show, and this is a special one indeed, as it's part two of the Six-Gun Justice feature that we have going on. Yeah, a couple of days ago, we featured Paul Bishop, who is one half of the author-host duo, and today we have the other half, Richard Prosh. I had such a great time visiting with Richard. We talked about, you know, the the draw to Westerns, (laughs) to use a term. Uh, what what the draw is to Westerns, you know, the call of the West, how his character Dan Spaulding came to life. We also talk about building a great collection of short stories uh, like he did, which he put together in uh, compilation books. Uh, really, really cool stuff. And, of course, making the most of your writing time. And uh, one of the things I found really interesting, too, is how Richard is a self-described science fiction lover and writer long before he became a western and crime writer so that was interesting as well to find that out and something that was especially nice for me to learn was that richard is actually uh pretty close to my own backyard right here in missouri so hopefully one of these days we'll get a chance to go grab a cup of coffee and maybe a cigar and and uh have a chat it's gonna be uh it'd be really nice well as always if you like what you hear Please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Give us a star rating. Give us a review. Tell me what your thoughts are. Uh, Anytime I see one that I like, I'm going to make sure and share it here on the show. I'll give you a shout out. If you like this or any other specific episodes, please share it with your friends and tell them about this great new author that you discovered on our little show. And lastly, if you've read a book that you've heard about here on the show, Please give that author a rating and review on Goodreads and Amazon. Uh, it's very important. It helps get more attention to that author. Uh, those reviews do make a difference. So make sure you do that. That's what I do. I rate everything on Goodreads first and then carry it over to, you know, copy and paste it over to Amazon. So, you know, if you like, follow me on uh, on Goodreads. I'm I'm just uh, Jason A. Amyski over there on Goodreads. You can see what I'm reading right now, what my annual challenge is I'm, I'm challenging myself to read 35 books this year so you can see that you can see what kind of reviews i write and uh yeah i invite you to do the same don't forget to follow the show on facebook and twitter it is just the sample chapter podcast on both of those outlets uh, we're also on youtube which is a growing community there you can very easily see the the cover art for the book of the day as the episode plays in the background of course if social media is not your thing but you still want to reach out to me then you can do so via email at, at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 660-851-1146. Uh, again, as always th- with these bonus episodes, I don't go into a whole lot of extra information but I do want to say a quick thank you to my sponsors, You Store All out of Warrensburg, Missouri. They are the premier Self storage facility with everything that you need for all your storage needs. Check them out online at ustoreall.net. That is spelled the letter U S T O R A L L.net. Of course, Scribner. Not going to say too much, but check out this advertisement and learn how you can save 20%. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scribner. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scribner Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Yes, indeed, Scribner. That is my favorite writing software that I use every day. Hey, also I want to thank my, my podcast network friends, starting with Pop Goes the Culture. They are your number one source for everything pop culture related podcasts, blogs, interviews, uh, anything there is. If it's pop culture related, whether that be video games, movies, TV shows, whatever it is, check them out online. Click that link in the show notes to check them out. And hey, uh, you know, I know they are currently actively seeking new shows, uh, and new writers. So if you've ever thought about writing about TV shows or movies or games or whatever, then click that link and check them out online. And Who knows? You could be doing something for them soon. And lastly, my other podcast network that we are so happy to be a part of, Project Entertainment Network. Home to 35 different shows of a wide variety. So there's something there that'll tickle your fancy no matter what that is. Lots of horror, lots of authors, lots of comedy, some writing shows, lots of great stuff in there. So click the links to check out more. But hey, listen to this incredible advertisement from one of those amazing shows. Hello, podcast addicts and curious listeners. Dr. Galvanic's Odd Tales is a narrated podcast with dark, thrilling and mysterious stories. In each episode, Dr. Galvanic's Odd Tales will take you through the mysteries of the Australian Outback, lead you into a remote corner of the galaxy, or it will accompany you through a mind-bending nightmare. You can find Dr. Galvanic's Odd Tales on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, subscribe to the show so you won't miss another episode see you out there all right man that's such a great show i love it i I listen to just about everything on both my networks so you gotta check it out for yourself without further ado let's mosey on over to our interview with richard Prosh. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome to an exciting new episode of the Sample Chapter podcast. Hey, this week we are going to sidle up next to the campfire and talk with crime and Western author Richard Prosh. Richard is a Spur Award winning author whose Western crime fiction captures the fleeting history of lonely frontier stories of his youth where characters aren't always what they seem and the wind-burned landscapes are filled with swift, deadly danger. Richard, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure, I'm so happy to have you here. I just recently got to have your partner, Paul Bishop, from the uh, Six-Gun Justice podcast, which I've become a big fan of, so this is doubly uh, uh, big for me to have the other half of that show on here with me today.
0: Thanks, Jason, you know, Paul is a a great friend and a great guy, and he paid me a lot of money to say that.
1: Well, so I guess while I'm on this subject now, and we got to talk to Paul a little bit about it, but uh, let's get your side of how this, uh, how this came up and maybe how you met Paul.
0: Oh, wow. I, you know, I think I met Paul initially, like so many of us do uh, these days. I met him online, and I believe it was probably in the Men's Paperback Adventure group on Facebook, which is a great group of guys. Um, I, think, yeah, I think we've got 1,000 people in that group And uh, we're all tied together by our love for adventure fiction from the 20th century and uh, specifically paperback fiction. So uh, I'm sure that I met Paul through there or saw his name for the first time, though we did start to correspond through email and uh, messenger then um, with both Westerns and uh, my uh, Dan Spaulding mystery collections. We uh, went back and forth on that because, as you know, Paul has a, a history and law enforcement. And, uh, I asked him a few questions and, and, uh, I think we just hit it off really well. He's, he's a, a really good friend.
1: That's really great. And then from there you, uh, at like, at what point did you decide, okay, Hey, let's do a, a podcast together.
0: So last, last fall, Paul and I were working together. Paul is an acquisitions editor at Wolfpack publishing and Wolfpack has been, uh, Acquired my backlog of westerns uh, a couple years ago, and has been re-releasing some of my western fiction. Uh, Paul was the editor that worked with me on that, and there were so many western writers who we felt were were really good, but maybe were forgotten a little bit or weren't getting the exposure that they needed to get. And it was Paul that came to me probably in November, I think, during the holidays last year, and said. I'm thinking about doing a podcast. Would you be willing to, to join up? And I, I wasn't sure because that was something I had never thought about. Uh, this is a medium that I never really thought much about, though I've listened to podcasts like everybody. And uh, I said, sure, not knowing exactly what I was getting into. And uh, <laughs> our, our, uh, we, we prepared for about six weeks. And then I think our first pro- podcast was at the end of January last year or th- this year.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, as I said, I, I've, I've kind of gushed about it here recently, uh, shared it on a few social medias and everything. It's, it's really been kind of a breath of fresh air and, and I don't know what it is. If it's the time, maybe it's, it's, uh, being home so much or the, uh, you know, the atmosphere that we're all kind of under right now, but the Westerns are really speaking to me.
0: Maybe there's something about the wide open spaces and the, the, at least for me, the innocence of America in those days—that uh, really wasn't—but you know, it—it it seems like it was. There's a sense of that, that romantic sense of that, that we can lose ourselves in, and uh, and in this in this weird time that we're we're in.
1: You know, and I was talking with somebody recently too. I I wonder if, and I don't, I'm not hopefully I'm not stepping on your toes. I I wonder almost if some of the lawlessness kind of brings out that uh, longing for the old west where it's like you just want somebody to come in and straighten things out
0: oh i think so definitely yeah i've, I've actually heard that from friends uh, you know and on either side of politics or, or any politics i've heard lots of people say boy i just wish you know whether it was a, a western hero or a superhero or somebody you know i wish some i wish we had somebody that would come in and, and you know take care of this so you're dead on jason that's exactly exactly what i think is happening
1: well speaking of heroes we have uh, one of the books we're going to be hearing from today is the latest of your dan spaulding mystery collection which you have uh, several already where did uh, where did dan spaulding come from
0: well my wife and i moved back to missouri from south carolina and i was kind of amazed at how missouri at least where we live and, and the places we would visit, uh, like Lake of the Ozarks or Branson, have this kind of rural urban feel. It's it's urban in some areas and very rural in others, and, and the transition zone between the two isn't always that clear. And I thought this this would be a really neat place to uh, set some crime fiction. And I wrote a few short stories set around Lake of the Ozarks, but I, I didn't want to make it specifically that town or, or those towns um, just because you know I'm I, I feel like I want some some room to stretch and so I created a mythical town called Ozark City and one of my you know we had fantasies about what we would do in other walks of life if we could and and I've always thought I wanted to own a bookstore or maybe an old record store and I thought what if you had an ex-cop uh, of some kind, some kind of law enforcement officer who had retired and bought a record store or somehow acquired a record store. And so those elements came together to create Dan Spaulding, who is a uh, retired Missouri State Patrol officer who inherited a record store in a uh, entertainment town, uh, s- that's sort of like Branson, but isn't Branson, and sort of like Lake of the Ozarks, but isn't Lake of the Ozarks.
1: <laughs> that uh, and I, and I know exactly what you're talking about with uh, that, that area plus that feel. Uh, Missouri is certainly one of those places where you're in a you're in an, in in a very urban area at one point and then very rural the next moment and you're either surrounded by very nice houses on one side of town to broken down trailers on the other side of town. And and you're kind of looking around going, am I in the same town or is this a different one?
0: Exactly, right, right. And I thought that would be an interesting thing to, just like with the Westerns, I thought the landscape itself would become interesting and the geography itself that the hero would have to work with, not just the, the people and the other characters, but the actual landscape and, and the environment around him.
1: Yeah. So what, uh, what is something about Dan Spaulding that, that makes him stand out from other crime characters?
0: Like so many of these types of characters that are ex-law enforcement, Dan struggles with uh, the desire to, to continue to fight for justice and be part of, of whatever crime or situation is happening. And, but he also struggles to have a normal life one of the things that's interesting about dan is that i find myself writing dan dan will take off the character just takes off when i'm writing and i'll i'll be writing something that is dan and it's dan's thoughts and it's dan's attitudes and it's dan's reactions to things and they are completely opposite my own i would you know i would go back and read and say well i don't necessarily believe these things or feel these things that dan does other times the two of us are completely simpatico, so I think, well, that's that's me. You know, I feel like I'm projecting myself into the character, like writers do. But other times, I'm very surprised when Dan takes off on his own, and I think, well, wow, that's not me, but but it is Dan. So it's it's really great to see the character become his own person. So I think that 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 sense of uh, struggling with with wanting to be more and be better and 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 uh, uh, see justice done and see the right thing done. I think Dan is somebody who thinks through things uh, maybe to a fault. I think he thinks he thinks too much, probably mm. overthinks everything. And uh, that's probably kind of a double-edged sword for him.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it sounds like Dan has, has become a character that's really uh, seated himself within you and he's one of those characters that now, uh, you don't even have to struggle to look for him. He's right there, ready for you, uh, whenever you need it. And, and sometimes coming out when you least expect it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting that you said that, cause that's, that's very true. You know, I can, uh, stop with, uh, a Dan Spaulding story and go for two or three months and write other stories and write Westerns. And, uh, as soon as I need to come back to Dan, I can just sit down as a typewriter and he's there and we, we take off on whatever the latest adventure is. <laughs> that's that's really great.
1: Now, how many, how many Dan Spaulding's do you have so far?
0: Well there, there were six short novellas that came together into two volumes when Wolfpack acquired the backlog. Uh, this, the novellas had been published before and uh, were available and did pretty well. Uh, so Wolfpack acquired that backlog and put them out in two volumes. There's the Dan Spaulding mystery volume one and Dan Spaulding mysteries volume two, each have three short novellas and those novellas complete one complete story arc. So while you can read them out of order, I I don't think there's anything wrong with reading them out of order. You wouldn't really miss that much. There is kind of a, a background subplot involving Dan and his girlfriend that if you read the six in order, um is more rewarding probably. Okay. And then, the, then the the newest one is number 7.
1: Wow, 7 already.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So now was it uh, was it crime fiction or was it westerns that you first started uh, first started writing?
0: I think that I first started writing science fiction and I I felt like I knew a lot about science fiction because I grew up uh reading. My dad was a member of the science fiction book club and I I knew a lot about those authors, and I, when I was writing science fiction, I sometimes felt like I was just aping uh, stuff that I'd read before, you know, stuff that read like a Star Trek episode or something, so I said, well, um, my grandpa loved westerns. He was an avid paperback reader, and he would have been, you know, right at home in the Facebook group where I met Paul, so I thought you know, westerns are something that I love because of the... Uh, Area that I grew up in in Nebraska, I grew up in Nebraska, so I really could relate to westerns, and my grandpa loved them. I was familiar enough with the the tropes and the the movies of course, and the riflemen on TV that I grew up with mm. but I hadn't written a lot of westerns, so I deliberately started to write westerns uh, when I got serious about writing though crime was was there too. I would write a crime story because really. Um, a good Western is often just a, a crime story set in a different time and place.
1: I, you know, that's excellent that you said that. Too. I was just thinking the same thing, how, to use a word you used a while ago, simpatico, they they go together. It's it's the old West you think of crime, and so they, they do kind of work very much together, and that's almost what the old lawmen were, were uh, detectives themselves.
0: Yeah, you're right. And, you know, Dan Spaulding struggles, I think, with that too, that there's a sense of, he uh, was a law enforcement officer, so he understands the law and he knows what he can and can't do or what, what uh, private citizens should or should not do. And yet there is a struggle to do what's right. And since it is fiction, uh, Dan probably gets away with some things that in real life he might not get away with. But uh, uh, you know, he's, he does struggle a little bit with that, I, I think, in the, in the books.
1: Very cool. Now uh before we dive into the most recent Dan Spaulding, I want to hear some about your westerns and uh like what was uh, what was one of your first westerns that you wrote
0: I think the first western that I really got serious about was a series called Holt County and Holt County Law Those have been brought together in a book called Holt County Collected Holt County is a is a county in Nebraska where during the late 1800s there was a lot of vigilante action it, it really was lawless and there were some uh, unorganized territories in western nebraska that had yet not yet been made into counties that were just kind of a no man's land where horses were were stolen and people were in trouble if they lived out there if they if they weren't you know uh, affiliated with the right people and so because there wasn't any law the farmers and ranchers would get together and, and uh, have formed these vigilante societies that would try to take care of business. And was, I grew up not too far away from Holt County in a neighboring, neighboring county. And so, you know, it was really interesting to me uh, growing up and reading these exploits and reading about these, these adventures. So I did write a short story called Branham's Dew which was the first story featuring Deputy Whit Branham of Holt County, Nebraska. And he would venture into unorganized territories and uh, deal with the vigilantes who, as you might imagine, he had mixed feelings about. Mm. And, and so those stories then eventually uh, worked into three, again, short novellas that Wolfpack put together and published as the Holt County Collection.
1: I find this really fascinating how many and, and I'm not sure if I'm correct in this or not, but you have a lot of your novels are actually collections of short stories in the same area, like the Holt County or the, uh, the uh, Peregrine, which is the collection of uh, John Coburn Western tales, which I find I find that fascinating that you've got all these little stories and you can pull them together in one novel and then sit down and uh, read a story or two at a time. Is this uh, like a process that uh, you naturally go through with uh, with your writing?
0: I think it was, you know, uh, my wife and I have a business together and we've been in business for about 25 years and being in business uh, for yourself, it's, it's just always, you know, feast or famine. You know, there's always a hustle going on that you have to work together and uh, you never know when your clients are going to need something. And so uh, I was at a in a situation where if i had uh, a few days to write i would write and then if i had to go back to work with her uh i would and you know it might be a week or two before i would get back to the writing so i didn't have a when i first started i didn't have a whole lot of discipline as for writing every day i would write in fits and starts and so the shorter works i think came naturally from that that mm. i could sit down and usually do 20 or thirty thousand words in a, in a short time, in a couple weeks, three weeks, two, three weeks, something, um, and keep my attention span on that. And so those first uh, Holt County books are probably 30,000, 35,000 words. The Peregrine, same thing. And those came together in the – around 2011, 12, 2013. You know, they would come together, and I would release them or try to find a publisher that would release them and had some luck with some small press and with my own publishing as well but um when wolfpack brought them together there was a sense that okay you know now these are out there let's let's stretch and let's sit down and be more disciplined and work on some things and so now the the last couple years the novels are longer and and uh, like the needle drop is longer but yeah you know i think that collecting that stuff is a lot of fun it's the kind of stuff i like to read too i like to read uh, short fiction.
1: And I think that's, that's important for aspiring novelists and authors. Uh, you know, one of the same really depend on, on uh, where you are in the country, whether, you, whether you're a novelist or an author. But I, I think it's important for aspiring writers to understand that um, sometimes we don't always have the time to sit down and write. And it's important to take that time when you can. And, uh, you know, there's no one way to do it. Uh, if you've got a few minutes then sit down and write on that for a while. if you've got an hour, great, you know, or you know we we don't always have um you know our desk in front of the window with a beautiful Missouri afternoon going on and before us, and we can just write away for the day
0: <laughs> That's right, you know and i I always remember that Isaac Asimov used to say when he worked as an academic uh, teaching classes and and working at colleges all day that he would sometimes write on a napkin if he had 45 seconds he would write things down and write sentences and, and paragraphs that he would later incorporate and you know i just thought, wow that's pretty neat that some of these these epics that we read these you know these sf epics could have been written in uh, 45 second intervals here and there
1: <laughs> well i i love all of this and i'm very excited about an upcoming project that you have called black rose what can you tell us about
0: this well, this was a project that Paul came to me with around the same time as the podcast. So at the same time as that we were working on the podcast, we were also throwing ideas back and forth about the Black Rose. And Paul had a pretty good idea of, of what he was looking for as an acquisitions editor at Wolfpack and uh, with some of his own thoughts on this character that would be uh, sort of an avenging angel of the southwest uh in the early 20th century um uh, a masked character uh something like uh maybe a female Zorro, uh kind of a swashbuckling uh, sword and adventure type of character um, but updated with some modern sensibilities and some history so uh it came together pretty quickly we created a bible and i wrote the first two novels uh, and they're, both of these are full-length uh, novels. The first one is The Legend of the Black Rose that should be out in the next month or two. And the second one is The Sword of the Black Rose. And I think that will be out before the end of the year as well, um, or at least right around the first of the year. It's a pretty exciting character.
1: Yeah, yeah. It very much gives me that feel of um, when I was growing up. And uh, I I think I'm, I think I'm, I think you and I might be close to the same age, uh, but we're both younger than Paul. So, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but still, I remember growing up in the uh, like early seventies and watching Cisco kid, Lone Ranger, uh, Zorro, you know, all the old black and whites and that, that feeling of swashbuckling adventure going on all the time. And, and uh, the, the good guys always coming out and Zorro being the only guy with a black hat. Who was a good guy, and uh, I just I love that feel of it. And I get that same sensation hearing you talk about Black Rose.
0: Yeah, she's uh you know she hides out with a convent of nuns in a small mission town, and so she has uh, what you would consider a secret identity, and she also uh, she she wears a costume and that she when she goes into action she has her black cloak and uh, Apache war paint on her face to mask her true identity. And, uh, and an interesting, Paul had discovered this and done some research. She employs a sword that is, uh, a hybrid between a, a blade and a whip. So it's a, a kind of a whip sword called a Urumi hmm. and uh, it telescopes, it telescopes out. She wears it around her waist, like a belt, and then she can unclip it and it whips out and telescopes out like a whip, but it, uh, it's a sword. And so it's, you know, there's a lot of fun things you can do with a with an interesting weapon like that, um, that she can use for all sorts of things.
1: Wow, that sounds amazing. Well, you gotta you gotta let me know when that comes out so that I can help share that for uh, for you and both Paul. That that sounds amazing. Sure thing. All right. Well, uh, so going into today's story, we're going to be hearing from Needle Drop. Uh, your latest in the Dan Spalding mystery series. What uh, what do we need to know ahead of time before we get into this?
0: Well, Dan owns a record store in Ozark City, and so uh, I have a friend who owns a record store. I do know a little bit about the business. That uh, you know, you're always sourcing records. You certainly you buy them from the from record dealers, but you also uh, need to you know. Sometimes buy them from local people who want, want to sell records, want to sell old vinyl, vintage vinyl. And so going into this chapter, what's happened is that Dan has an old acquaintance who was a friend of his dad's. And we all have that guy in our life, right? We all have that, that older friend who maybe was a friend of our parents. Uh, and now we consider to be a friend, but they're older and they still think of us as the young kid. But now that we see them as adults, maybe we don't see them through the same lens that we did when we were kids. So Dan has an old friend like that named Stu, and Stu has called Dan and promised him a collection of records that he can come out and look at and purchase. Uh, But Stu lives on a multimillion dollar yacht that's just kind of plopped down in Lake Sawyer outside Ozark City. And Stu maybe isn't the most reputable character in the world. And so Dan takes his friend Velda along. Velda is uh, uh, not his girlfriend. Velda is kind of, uh, uh, she works at the store, but she's she, maybe the best way to describe her is she is a hawk to Dan's Spencer. Um, she's not afraid to carry okay. her weapon. And, and so she goes along with it. And so that's, and what we're going to do is we're going to read, uh, this will be chapter six, and it's actually the, uh, basis of the cover. So when you look at the cover of Needle Drop, this chapter is where the cover comes from. Oh my gosh.
1: And of course, everybody listening to this, uh, depending on where you're listening to this, if you're on YouTube or on uh, on the sample chapter website, uh, you can see that book cover, but uh, make sure you at least click the links in the show notes so that, that way you can check it out. Speaking of, uh, Richard, where can we find and follow you?
0: Uh, my website is www.richardprosh.com, and I'm on Facebook at Richard Prosh. Wonderful. And Richard, and Richard Prosh, author. <laughs> All
1: right, fantastic. So, yeah, we will make sure to have those links in the show notes. Everybody can check those out and uh, follow everything about Richard. It's great. And uh, make sure you are also subscribing to the Six Gun Justice podcast. I can't recommend it enough. It's It's a fantastic show. Richard, thank you so much for being a guest. This has been a real joy in my day. And, and uh, I, you guys are adding to my To Be Red File uh, daily, it seems like. Thank you, Jason. It's been a pleasure for me, too. Ladies and gentlemen, that means it's time for me to step aside, grab a cigar and a drink, and listen to our guest today, Richard Prosh, with his latest book, Needle
0: Drum. Chapter 6. Serena brought Stu a second beer and moving over to me draped herself against me. I like you, she said. She put both hands on my right arm and pulled it around her back, planting my palm on her waist just below the chain. Nudity is legal in the cove, she said. Only half right, I said. Always a law and order, man, said Stu. I smiled into Serena's fake blue eyes, then looked at Stu. How about showing me those records? The records, said Stu, snapping his fingers. Uh, about those records. He put his hands on his hips. Would you gals excuse us? No, said Velda, firmly rooted to the spot and swallowing some more beer. She your bodyguard or what? said Stu. Close enough, said Velda. Let me show you around the boat first, said snoot said Stu. He snapped his fingers a few more times and glanced at his watch. Like everything else around Stu, The timepiece was a status symbol, from its alligator strap to its black diamond studs and gold inlaid face. Stu reached out and took Velda's left hand in both of his mitts. We can't talk business without feeling at home, can we? How can we feel comfortable without likewise feeling at home? Stu turned to offer Serena an appreciative expression. Serena feels more comfortable inside, don't you, dear? From the blissful look on her face, I guessed right about then Serena would be comfortable anywhere this side of a woodchipper. When she stretched the affirmative, uh-huh, out to half a minute, I hoped we wouldn't need to call emergency services for I pulled out my phone just in case. Naturally, there was no service. Pain in the ass, Stu said. If you didn't know it was the 21st century, you'd think we ought to hoist a sail just to move around this god-awful place. Pointing at the communications array on the hardtop, he said, Use the ship's line if you need to make a call. Stu waved Serena toward the glass doors of the sunroom. You girls adjourn to more comfortable quarters, he said. Velva stayed rooted to her spot on the aft decking as I disentangled myself from Serena and followed Stu. Three steps with a shiny chrome railing took us down to the swim platform, and I studied a collection of candy wrappers, Plastic bottles and condoms sloshing around the angled chain of the boat. I didn't think I'd find anything there signed by Lillian Gish. What do you say, Danny? Old Stew made out all right. He patted his shirt pocket and shorts. Damn, I should have had some cigars for us. I'm good without a cigar, I said, holding up my half-empty beer bottle. Ah, it's just I like a cigar when talking business. About the records? He brushed the comment aside with a wave of his hand. Later. Don't be in such a rush. Okay, I said. Here's another question. What do you hear from Stacy Dare? I haven't heard from Stacy in years, he said. Why do you ask? How do you know Stacy? Checking for a friend. Sure you are, said Stu, knowingly. But no, I don't have a clue where Stacy is these days. Weird girl, you know. To hell and gone. He drank some beer. I hear from her. I'll let you know. Stu cleared his throat and continued real business now. I got a proposition for you. I've been partners on the needle drop for a while now. Me and some other guys I know. You might do a little business with one of them, Klaus Reed, the banker. I wasn't surprised by the name. He's the VP at the Chamber of Commerce. There's two great days in a boatman's life, said Stu. The day he buys his boat and the day he sells it, I said. Stu whacked my shoulder. He'd laugh riot, just like your old man. Nope, it's the first night he beds his lover on board. I should have guessed. How do you think the needle drop really got her name, he said, pausing for a beat, amused with himself. Just kidding you, he said. Who's in the boat along with you and Klaus, I said. The usual crew, he said, or in this case, with a capital letter. We call ourselves The Crew, Got a little LLC pulled together, and the boat is in the company name. It's more discreet this way. So how's it work? Like a timeshare or something? Exactly like a timeshare, said Stu. We don't all live in-state. This way everybody gets their turn. Problem is, and I'll be honest with you, we've had a few guys drop out since the setup. I held up my palms flat to ward off what I guessed was coming. Nope, nope, not me. You said business was good, Danny. Not good enough to afford part ownership in a floating white elephant. What white elephant? I need to show you around. The lower salon and galley area. The VIP quiet room. Lots of cushy furniture and storage bins. It's got every luxury you'd expect of a beautiful, spacious lake home. This home just happens to be out on the water. It's even got a fireplace lounge. What's a VIP quiet room, I said. Pride and joy, Dan. Dan. There's four or five berths on the boat, but the VIP room is on the lowest level below decks. It's a spacious suite, decked out with its own shower, head, wet bar, and kitchenette. Besides all that, it's been reinforced against the elements, absolutely soundproof. The walls are solid state, lined with cell phone blockers, no security camera. A private place for private pleasure, if you know what I mean. It's a good place to make dirty movies. "'I would never mix business with pleasure,' said Stu. "'I promise. I've never made any movies down there.' "'I don't know. It still sounds sketchy,' I said. "'Hey, you're the one who asked about Stacy Dare,' which seemed like a weird thing for him to say. Before I could comment, Stu pressed on. "'Actually, I do have an ulterior motive.' "'Here it comes,' I said. "'I hate to tell you. Go ahead.' When I said we had a few guys drop out, I mean, they dropped out permanently.' We've had a few guys get croaked. They died? More like they were killed, as in murder, recently. How many are a few? Two, and the only connection between these guys is the needle drop. He counted on his fingers. These fellows lived in different parts of the country. They worked in unrelated fields, all above board. They died in two different ways. What ways? Cherry pits, and a bee sting. A bee sting? Was your guy the guy I heard about on the radio? Stu said it was. Smith Morrison, managed a casino, allergic to bees. Somebody locked him in a closet with a hive full of them. Well what about the cherry pits? A friend of mine named Rick's Mothers, lived in Arkansas. Yeah, who to thunk, right? Cherry pits. But I guess they're poison if they're ground up and dropped in your food. But law enforcement is on it? Stu shrugged. I imagine they are. But they don't know about needle drop. You're sure. We're pretty damn discreet. Far as I know, there's nothing else to link Morrison and Smothers, and nobody's connected the dots to find the boat. I sure as shit ain't going to mention it. I can't end up with a bunch of cops crawling all over the place. So instead, you expect me to look into it. Listen, Dan, you could be a real asset to us. Poke around a little, see if you can find something out. Morrison, Smothers, they both like to gamble. Maybe I'm jumping the gun worrying about the rest of the crew. Maybe it's a coincidence but you think it's not random. I don't know, just a hinky feeling. A man gets to be my age, well, I've learned to trust my hinky feelings. But nobody's taking a run at you personally. No threats against any of the rest of you. No, nothing. Like I said, it's a feeling. I can't help with your feelings, I said. It's not like there's nothing in it for you if if you join up. The crew is an elite club to belong to. You want to make a little side money, sublet the thing out, the right people pay a crap ton of money for one night in the VIP suite no questions asked how much is a crap ton exactly you wouldn't believe it if i told you he put his arm around me i can get you into the crew on the friends and family pass usually we ask an entry fee up front how much he told me less than the cost of a new car said stu uh we buy cars off different lots if you agree to look into the murders We could waive the down payment again he looked at his watch are we on the clock i said remembering his voice from our morning call you be here before lunch he'd said i don't like being outside too much not good for the skin he tipped his head up toward the party crowd in the cove maybe not good for my health he walked back toward the stairs ahead of me think about the offer said Stu. once in a lifetime opportunity to move up and we sure could use your expertise he held up his watch Let's get another beer. On deck, Velda was staring out across the water, a lit cigarette in her mouth, the picture of serenity. Serena had wandered inside ahead of us. We're going to see the records now, said Velda. I need to explain about the records, said Stu. I think Stu brought us out here for a different reason, I said. By the way, who was your friend who ferried you over here, said Stu. The way you love your Indian motorbike. I figured you'd put pontoons on her and put her over. He was stalling and we all knew it. Worse, he knew that we knew and he didn't care. He was waiting for me to say yes to his offer. I finished my beer and put the empty on the table next to Velda as Serena reappeared above us on the second tier sun deck. She carried a silver cigarette case in her hand. From where I stood, I saw an intricate series of etchings on one side, a drawing of some kind, maybe a skull or a heart. Her left hand was behind her back. When Stu saw the silver case, his breath caught in his throat. I thought I told you to get rid of that. He checked his anger, lowering his forehead into his hand, then tilted his gaze back up. Come back down, sweetie. Our guests miss you. Already a little wobbly on her feet, Serena fumbled the case, and it fell to the deck with a click-clack sound. She knelt down, picked it up, and laughed. Caught it, she said, then she laughed again and the hollow sound sent a chill up my spine i want a pretty box like this said serena it's so pretty like it was two distinct words listen Stu, we can do this later i said turning to wave at the violet bogart in the distance jamie fired up the diesel of his boat why not just drop the records at the store stop 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 hang on a minute said Stu, turning back to serena come on down baby huh Serena recoiled from his voice, and all I could think of was the reaction of an abused dog toward a violent master. Blinking heavily, she took a step back. Her voice lowered, took on a new edge of anger and madness. I don't have to listen to you anymore, she said. Stu looked like he'd been slapped. Serena brought her left hand around, her fingers encircling the butt of a compact handgun. From where I stood, it looked like a Sig Sauer. I'll never listen to you again. Serena's finger tightened on the trigger, squeezed off a shot, and Stu stumbled back, reaching for his shoulder as a loud report boomed over the cove, off the water and the limestone bluff. Damn it, said Velda, 911. Instinct took over and I had my Glock in hand, but I kept it low. More concerned about Velda's safety, I turned and told her to get to cover. I shouldn't have worried. Velda held her nine in a classic stance with both hands aimed at Serena. Drop it, lady, she said. I reached for my phone to call for help then remembered what Stu had said, this far back in the cove, we got no service. I glanced in Stu's direction. He sat on his butt near the steps down to the swim platform, back flat against the rear decking, legs stretched out in front of him. He pressed a white knuckled fist into his shoulder. I didn't see a lot of blood, which was good. The look on his face was one of stunned surprise. Serena, I said, holding my own firearm up at a right angle. I'm gonna lay down my gun. How about you lay yours down too? The naked girl swayed to the motion of the boat, and with one eye closed, she appeared to be planning a second round for a stew. I'm going to take the shot, Dan, said Velda. One sec, one sec, I said. Don't shoot, don't shoot. Five seconds, said Velda. Nobody shoot. The sun was hot overhead, but the cool breeze had kept me from sweating. Now it was like I'd stepped out of the shower. Serena, I called louder than before. Serena, please listen to me. Please hear my voice. Listless, on a neck made of jelly, her chin fell, and she peered at me from under her eyebrows. You've got a good voice, she said, licking her lips. Good radio voice. Thanks, Serena. You've got a nice voice, too. How about we talk a while? How about... She held out both arms like a swan diver, a gun in one hand, the cigarette case in the other. All is vanity, she said, her forced laugh coming out like a gurgling belch. She lowered her gaze one last time. One of the blue contacts was missing heaven's calling she put the muzzle of the gun into her mouth stop her dan said velda serena baby said stew but there was nothing anybody could do serena pulled the trigger and leaning sideways tumbled over the ship's railing bounced once against the hull and left a bloody long streak on the glistening gel coat surface she disappeared into inky oblivion ah hell said stew sitting still gazing at the empty space on the second deck Charging across the deck, I bent over the rail. Jamie's boat was coming up fast. The water between us was a whirling blend of bubbles and foam. No sign of Serena. Knowing it was pointless, I did the only thing I could do, and jumped in after her.
1: Oh my goodness, that was incredible. And that was Richard Parash reading a sample chapter from his latest Dan Spaulding mystery, Needle Drop. Uh, Don't forget to click that link in the show notes for more about Richard Prosh and all of his books. Uh, Check out his and Paul Bishop's show, The Six-Gun Justice Podcast. If you are a fan of Westerns, you're going to love it. Don't forget to also click that link in the show notes for our sponsors and podcast friends alike. And hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when I'm back with, and I know who it is again, Hank Philippi Ryan on the show next week. So hit that subscribe button and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.
0: This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.